Look, America, I implore you, <laughs> learn two things. Anybody that screams and yells into a microphone about something they hate is that thing and is a self-loathing, is confessing that thing to the world. Like people who scream, I hate gay people are gay people who don't know how to be gay. And people who scream, you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage and fornicate with strangers are doing that thing. That's why they're screaming about it because they are ravaged with, with internal guilt. Excuse me, are you saying that you're Don Henley? That, this is a weird way to reveal it, but yes, I am actually the lead singer of the Illegals. I do no, it under my porn star name. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Fellas, how are you on this fine Wednesday evening? Hanging in. Hanging in in month nineteen of the COVID times. I'm like it that. Is. is that something like that? Is that right? Ben in Knoxville, Jeff in Berkeley. I got to kick right into something because I I left something unattended with our last podcast, 1986. Usually we go right into the Grammy, but we have to actually backtrack. Our guest last week distracted me, Ricky Valero jumping on our podcast here uh 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys part of the drive-in podcast network and ricky was there and and i didn't get to talk about the most important moment of 1986 for me and for thousands upon thousands of others (laughs) do you know what it is i can guess go ahead I was a sophomore in high school and my brother came to get me at school and I'm like, what are you doing here? He worked for Nesson, the Red Sox broadcast network. And he said, I have an extra ticket to the world series. We're going to New York. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so great. My big brother and I drove down to New York, down to Shea stadium. And we went to game six of the world series and my brother emphasized the whole car ride like this is going to be so huge because the red sox haven't won a world series since 1918 um i don't know if you guys know how that game turned out in 1986 you've heard about it i I remember i watched every pitch dude you were at that game he was was the game six i've seen the ticket stub i've seen the game six ticket stub in his wallet that's uh, a crazy story Ben, you're going to love this. You, we were up in those. No, I was hoping you were to choose the Aaron Boone home run. I mean, oh, I'm not stop, a Mets fan. Stop, stop. Okay, yeah. Um, up in those left field uh, bleachers at Shea Stadium where the, the Red Sox bullpen is below us. Oh, yeah. And I had to, like, run down the stairs and look over to, to see that they were bringing in Bob Stanley. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, but the thing I remember most – is the woman behind me after the ball goes through Buckner's legs, grabbing my shoulders and saying, now that's how a real baseball team plays. So this is good because I have a separate answer for in-person versus watching, but you actually physically were in person for the worst sports moment. I was in person for my worst sports One thing that must have been really hard for you is I've sat in the equivalent seats. I think I've sat in those seats at Shea. 
like my brother and my dad and I will go to Shea and get Indian food and then sit yeah. up in the crappiest seats we yeah, can yeah, get yeah. and eat Indian food. Just be like, we hate the Mets. So <laughs> you can't tell what the hell's going on in those seats. No. Like you can no. sort of tell like when the person swings, you're like, oh, they're swinging. And then there's a ball, but you probably couldn't tell that it went through Buckner's leg. I could tell that it was a slow roller. Right. And then I just saw everyone's reaction. And it was, like, it was one of disbelief because you couldn't see the ball go through his legs. But it's like, wait, he... Surely he, he was right there. Surely That's he gobbled that Why up. Why is it not an out? Oh, my gosh. It was really, really That's a really brutal. long drive home, too. Oh well, that's, that's, I meant to have, uh, have this song queued up for you all, but that's the first time I heard Bruce Hornsby, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> As we drove home in the rain in New York traffic, and I was just like, please stop this song. Let me out of this car. Uh, Jeff Simon's worst sports moment. Oh, you should do Ben first. Ben first. I got uh, one that I watched on TV, and Jeff can name that. That's an easy one. I was with you, I think. Is that right? Might have been. What is it? That's Ewing. Uh, when the Ewing's layup goes in and out, and the Knicks. Uh... Oh no, that's not the worst, dude. The oh, okay. Charles Smith game is the worst by a mile. Oh, I wasn't with you for the Charles. The Smith Charles game. Smith game oh. is the worst by a mile. Um, so the Knicks are two all against the Bulls. And this is the Michael Jordan Bulls. Oh, yeah, and they've worked yeah. all season to have the number one seed. So yep. they've won both of their games at home, and the Bulls won both of their games at home. And, the, and game two is, is probably my all-time favorite moment of being a sports fan was the John Stark's Stark. dunk. The John Stark's Stark. 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 baseline dunk. It, so that I did watch with you. Yep. And such an amazing feeling for me. Anyhow, yeah. so game five, we return to the Garden. All we have to do is win at the Garden. We've got home court. And Charles Smith misses you know, oh. 85 layups in a row, all of them blocked by Jordan and Pippen. Some of them with fouls, but, you know, what can you say? And um, I've never been the same. That broke yeah. my heart. Uh, and that basically, you can imagine, the Knicks are my favorite team. I've, oh, I've like my, my favorite game to play is basketball. It's my favorite sport to watch. And so it yeah. hasn't worked out for me at all. Right. <laughs> it's been really did, rough. Did you have fun with the Linsanity run? Sure, but that was like two months. That and also, dude, like part of it start. It broke my heart with the Charles Smith game, but I'm at the position now where I like have an arm's length relationship with my favorite team. Where I'm like, well, if yeah. then that would be nice, but they can't hurt me anymore. I won't let them hurt me okay. anymore. Should Should we have a a podcast just with James Dolan's blues bands? <laughs> I'm sure he's available. That would be super good. <laughs> All right, Jeff, what do you got? So here's the thing, like, I'm just not, I've become such a sports, like, okay. And part of, there's two things happen. Like I, we're all underdog rooters. Like listen to these teams we root for. Right. And uh, I, I have come at sports my whole life with the assumption that the team I root for will lose. I just, I don't know how, where I learned that, but like, I'm a Vikings fan. I'm a, I was a Cubs fan. And then I became a, you know, I was a Warriors fan for a long, long time, right? Like, I just might – a Giants fan, like, the teams I root for don't win. And so, I never – the biggest heartbreak was David Robinson's Navy team lost to Duke in the Elite Eight. That game – That was brutal. I had, I had gone to every Navy home game that year. I, I drove to Williamsburg to watch the CAA conference tournament, which they won. And then, like, then we won – 
and, and that team was was underrated and great, and they blitzkrieged everybody, and then they lost to Shashevsky's Duke team. That was the team with Billis, Johnny Dawkins, um, Danny Mahar, Tommy Amaker. Wow. And that team ended up losing to Purvis Ellison in the in – the, finals but if it hadn't been for duke as the one seed navy would have made the final four and may have actually made a run at the title that one killed that would have been cool and then navy go that far which has no business that would have been awesome that was great because i mean like many duke teams too that was a super douchey team that was a that's a disaster to lose (laughs) them and i remember that game vividly that navy team was amazing (laughs) you must have loved rooting for them Oh. They were literally like one world-class athlete. You were like, when, when Robinson was yeah. on the court, you were like, right. wow, he would be one of the 15 best players in the NBA. Yeah. And then nothing but six one <laughs> white guys who couldn't do yep. anything. All right, everyone. So I apologize for the awkward transition. We had to cut some stuff because Jeff Simons just walked us through Navy's lineup. What year was that, Jeff? 1986. Yeah. Look, I'm, what am that's I here gone. for? If Don't not that cut kind that. Of shit. That's gold. That I was gonna gone. say, I'm on. That's my value add. I'm not the funny one or the pretty one. I'm the like arcane fact guy. You can't cut that. <laughs> I will give you the names and the heights of Navy's '86 basketball team. Woo! All I, right. Uh, that's how you know I'm. I'm, I'm real. Well, now I feel that we have put 1986 to bed properly. Uh, that was our, our cynicism question, no doubt. Now, gentlemen, 1987, we are juniors in high school, are we not? I'm a senior. You're I'm a senior? I'm graduating. Oh, yeah. Big man on campus. Well, I can't wait to well, hear of the songs you pick. Uh, five give foot us three big men on campus. Five, well, it's, it's a state of mind. Uh, go ahead. Let's go to the Grammy winner. Who won the Grammy for the year 1987? It's the Grammy winner. Somewhere Out There by Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram. Is this, is this the same song as last year and the year before? It, it this is, is the We this Are the new. World intro. Nope, it's new. I can't believe this is it. I mean, what a lead in. I'm stopping there. Wait, you, what you song is that? I don't even recognize that song. What is I, know, it? I mean, I recognize uh, the tune, but not the... It's Linda Ronstadt featuring James Ingram. What's the somewhere, name of that song? Somewhere Out There. Yeah, somewhere it, Out There is the name of that song. It's from An American Tale, The Little Mouse Fievel oh, Comes to America. Okay. <laughs> And he's separated from his mother, I think, or something. And, and, but they're looking at the same moon, even though they're separated. And that won the Grammy. At least they <laughs> caught Linda Ronstadt at the high point. They really caught her I where mean, she was happening. She, she was such a force in the 70s and gets nothing. And here in the late 80s, wow. That is a Grammy winner. Is that, is that our worst Grammy winner? Oh, in terms no, of dude, most incongruous, no. I mean, that's... No, the- no, 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 no. Tie yellow ribbon was like, the, that's the worst. <laughs> I guess so. That's, that's just a This one, at least, so seriously, like, I'm actually going to make this argument. Are you ready? First of all, that, yeah. I'm not here to argue for the Linda Ronstadt song. <laughs> but at least you can recognize that by the decade. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's like true. you hear that that's song true. and you're like, oh, that's a terrible song. It sounds like the 80s to me. At least it's in the yeah. neighborhood. Like there were some in the set, like Tie Yellow Ribbon was like that. that yeah, Tie Yellow Ribbon sounded like it could be from the 30s. Like it right. had like a ball, Seriously. <laughs> trombone in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, it you're really right. Did. But that's, okay. that's just, and this year, that's an unforgivable Grammy winner. Yeah, I mean, it's come bad. On. Come on. I, is it, it is possible I loved music. I loved music more than any point in my life in 1987, which means I love music more than anything that had ever existed up to that point in 1987. <laughs> that's the Grammy winner? Yeah. Oh, you, we you, should do this in a different podcast. You think this is the peak of when you most love music, Jeff? Uh, that's a possibly. big statement. It's in this the, is definitely in, not for me. I, mean, I actually struggled really hard with picking 87, but that's, I have several things that I like, but I, I don't feel that way about 87 at all. Well, I don't mean oh. the music itself. I mean that music mattered more to me in 1987 in terms of who I was and who I thought I would be. And you're gobbling up music wherever you yeah, can get but it. Like, that my, my, my desire to hear and appreciate and have hard opinions about music might have been in its most feverish in 87 not my well, favorite year of music but like a year when like it mattered so much to me what i was listening to and and, and you would probably develop a hard opinion about somewhere out there yeah probably <laughs> took about that long wow um i, I think right. i only know five goes west i think i only know the sequel of the american oh oh you're you're totally missing out if you don't have the context for that sequel how many, are there like 11 of those, like the Ernest movies? Is there like, you know, Fievel right. visits the uh, experimental lab? Yeah. Or... <laughs> All right. What else is happening in 1987? The Ford Escort is a heck of a car. Uh, raise your hand if you ever owned a Ford Escort. Rented one. All right. Good enough. What was the price of a Ford Escort in 1987? Ben, you go first. Six grand. Jeff? uh seven grand you guys are both so smart i wouldn't i would have nothing uh it is six thousand eight hundred ninety five oh! Jeff, jeff's gone over ben gone you over. won i do win <laughs> yes. right rules i forgot that's great that's great uh matthias rust a west german teen flew his plane into red square as a as a way to open up communication between the soviet union and the West. What type of airplane was it? You don't remember this story? No. This was huge. Was it? He f- <laughs> <laughs> was it? Was it? <laughs> I was a little too busy watching Navy basketball to pay attention to Matthias West. <laughs> I have no memory of this whatsoever. He flew, he flew a Cessna. Oh, I was going to say Cessna because that's the only thing right. I know. That's the only thing I could think of. He flew it into Red Square, landed in Red Square. People went up to him like, what is happening? Yeah. And then the police arrested him and he was uh, put away for 18 months of hard labor. And he's like, I was just trying to open up communication. But apparently they were a little sensitive about their air defenses being exposed uh, the way they were. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for 
So that's a terrible question. <laughs> um, let's instead go to the number one hit. Are you ready, Jeff Simons? I think so. I'm also really surprised, but... Um, the Grammy winner really set us up. Like, it can't possibly be that bad. Oh, no, no, no. It's much, 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 much better. Hold on. I'm just having trouble. There's an apostrophe that's messing up the uh, alphabetizing. Okay, ready? It'll take, it'll take ten, uh, Ben 0.01 seconds. It's the number one hit. Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. We're all there. Georgia likes this song. I literally was just listening to this on one of her mixes. Yeah, you oh. know, kids love it. I, they, the Branson Rock Band plays this every two or three years, and they play it without any irony, and just the crowd goes completely fall apart. Apeshit. And they love it. They yeah. love and it. And the kids who play it love it. Oh, love it. Well, yeah. it's because it's a true story of struggling working people, Jeff. Perhaps <laughs> you're not in touch with Tommy in the docks. I don't know if you know what it's like to be laid off from the docks, but Tommy does. You know, it's funny. Like, I feel like about the lyrics of this song exactly the way I feel about the lyrics to Don't Stop Believing. Like, it's uh -huh. a ridiculous story of just, like, metaphors put through a meat grinder, but it fits the music perfectly. So I don't even care that much, right? Like, Oh, totally. I actually feel the opposite. I love it. It, it actually, Don't Stop Believing, when they go to South Detroit, I'm South like, Detroit. it's my favorite towns. One of my yeah. favorite towns. <laughs> As, as Tim always says, like, his favorite line like that is in rock and roll band when they sing Dancing in the Streets of Hyannis. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Never yeah. has there been dancing in the so streets. So many, so many dances. Maybe at the ferry dock. Maybe when you get <laughs> off the ferry. So yeah, good. This, I, song, this song's silly and stupid. I actually like it a lot more now than I did in the moment. It annoyed me to no end. It was like a terrible melange of like the worst parts of heavy metal and synthesizers and cheesy ass oh and bruce springsteen it's a clear springsteen ripoff in yes. the most embarrassing way like it's a disaster but like way. 35 years later i'm like it's kind of funny like i like it the way i like the safety dance by men without hats but, like i I'll, I'll i'll allow it but what do you so do hold with... on what's your favorite bon jovi song this one is that oh i've got one outside the box my answer is bad, bad medicine. medicine shake it up like it's a bad medicine and i'm like is that what you do with bad medicine really do you shake it because why would would that improve the medicine like are you a pharmacist uh, but have so you funny. ever had people come up to you uh and i've had this happen to me before and i don't know where to begin they're like well i don't i don't like bruce that much i, I like bon jovi better I don't know if I've ever had that conversation. Oh, I have had that. And I just don't, I mean, you can't argue with those people. That's not, <laughs> that's not going anywhere for sure. Anti-maskers. Okay. 
Uh, let's see what else is happening in this grand year of 1987. Um, oh, this is the year that uh, Trump traveled to uh, Berlin and made that incredible speech where he told Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. I, wasn't that Trump? Is that our so. president? That seems to I be how history is being written. Yes, that he did everything. Maybe. I could see him making such a speech. Um, wall he'd be like, tear bad. down that he wall did... and put in condos. What right. are we wasting this real estate for? What is this wall made out of? We need steel, sad. Yeah. Uh, we also had the Jim Baker scandal. Uh, Jeff Simons, did you follow the Jim and yeah, Tammy so Faye that, Baker scandal? I have scandal? always been fascinated by cults and religious leaders. Like I read the Manson book, Helter Skelter, when I was like way too young and developed like an early fascination. Like that Wild Wild Country documentary on Netflix and I were just like, Mwah. I, I watched it twice. So I find televangelists endlessly fascinating and interesting. So I was right. definitely following that that as it happened. Yeah. Well, it, it, was there any surprise last week when uh, Falwell had to uh, be fired no. by Liberty University? Like, no surprise no, look, at all. Any, look, America, I implore you, <laughs> learn two things. Anybody that screams and yells into a microphone about something they hate, is that thing and is a self-loathing con is confessing that thing to the world like people who scream i hate gay people are gay people who don't know how to be gay and people who scream you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage and fornicate with strangers are doing that thing that's why they're screaming about it because they are ravaged with with internal guilt excuse me are you saying that you're don henley that this is a weird way to reveal it, but yes, I am actually the lead singer of the Illegals. I do no, it. Under, fry. I, I do he's it under my porn star name. No, I just like I'm not surprised at all. Like, in fact, I can't believe it took that long for the poor. Uh, right, right. Like, like, what are we? What are we doing? What are that we? That should be so what the history of televangelists is called. It should be called "There's Always a Pool Boy: Colon A History of American Televangelists." That's it. I'm in with that title. I am in. All right. Am I being I, too harsh, Ben? Are you, you want to, you want to? No, you're fine. That, I mean, I would like, obviously, I think there's some good people in that industry, but not yeah. very many. That's fine. All right. Here's your impossible question The Simpsons debuts on the Tracy Ullman show in 1987. Still going strong here in 2020. You're allowed one episode to bring with you to your desert island. Which episode do you bring? Go. This is a super easy one for me. I have a favorite. Go. Let's hear it. It's the one where Homer sues the all-you-can-eat restaurant because they kick him out, and <laughs> Bart falls in love with the babysitter next door. That is. That my is my actual favorite too. So, but I'm not. I won't choose that because that is that's the right answer. That yeah. one's amazing. <laughs> it's got. When Jimbo Jones, so I show that in my, I have a class called uh, Images of the Law, where we talk about how law is portrayed in popular culture. And I do this. Okay. And, and um, <laughs> we do that Simpsons one because there's an amazing lawsuit. And you have the hilarious judge and the lawyer. Yep. And you have the, I can't believe it's a law firm, which yes. is just the greatest. Mm. Um, but the B plot, where he falls in love with oh. the, the babysitter, 
and Jimbo Jones comes over, and he's so sad because his female babysitter is with the guy who bullies him, and it's really breaking Bart's heart. And Jimbo Jones is like, can I take off my shirt? It's chafing me. Yep. And two seconds later, he's like, you won't believe it. Now my pants are chafing me. all time kills me. Great throwaway jokes. I know that episode so well that once in a long car trip, I did it for the car. Like my family, they were like, they're like, can you tell us, like, Will was like, tell me a story. I'm like, so I just did the episode, like all the lines, all the characters. I remembered like 98% of it. And at the end, Will was like, do another one. I'm like, I can't do another <laughs> one. Come on. I can't do another that one. one. That one, yeah. Every line. Conan O'Brien wrote that one. Yeah. That's his, uh, I mean, it's just Joe brilliant. Conan. What about you, Tim? What's yours? Well, the, the one where um, the principal is uh, set up with the teacher. Is oh, the principal Edna? Skinner? Yeah. yeah, with Edna. I remember. Is that like season three or something? I haven't watched it in 25 years, probably. Oh, dude, your kids haven't brought you back? Yeah, no. Will loved it. Oh, really? Yeah, Will, Will when, it, when FX, FXXX or whatever the hell that channel is started running all the Simpsons, like, yeah. Will turned to put them on the DVR and just burned through a whole bunch of them. He's a huge Oh, that's brilliant. Well, I Georgia watched that. every episode, every season through 2015. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. She saw yeah. a bunch that I didn't see. Like, yeah, Will like, seen yeah, like sure. Will seen sure. like fifty I haven't seen because I lost the thread and Will and Will's like you're missing out. It's still really funny. So. Oh, that's great. All right, let's go to our three songs. Our three songs. Jeff, you went first last week. Ben Barton, that means you lead us off right now. All right, so this was really hard for me. Uh, 1987, Ben Barton's clearly with Tuesday Guns N' Roses song. That was my favorite record of that year. And 2020, Ben Barton, my actual favorite song from this year is uh, The Pogues, the Christmas time song. But I gave three options to the girls and they chose option three. And actually, I've, I noticed I'm, I'm like skewing hip hop and it's because like I asked the girls and that's what they like. They keep so, skewing you. Hmm. I've, uh, this was recorded in 86. And released in 87. I'm going to give you a hard time on this one. I'm just warning you in advance. It's recorded in 86, remixed in 87, still oh. charts in 88. And my actual, like my special memory for it is in 88. So December 31st, 1988. Wait, uh, there's a New Year's, So there's a New Year's Eve party at my friend Rachel okay. Olderman's house. And my brother and a bunch of friends from high school and a bunch of friends from college are all coming together to hang out at this party. And then we're going to go see Stevie Ray Vaughan at the Ritz, wow. two sets. So we are hanging out at this party. And among my friends are a college friend who brings his high school friend from Connecticut. So there's, there's like a couple of dudes I don't know in this group. So we all get drunk as hell and we get on the subway and we're heading into Manhattan. And so I'll just call him Connecticut guy because I do not know his name. He's <laughs> so guy. drunk and so suburban that we pull into the station. And you know that in the New York subways, they'll close the doors and open the doors and close the doors and open the doors. He uh -huh. thinks this is hilarious. He gets up. And also, he's being really noisy and obnoxious. And, but so far, it's okay. Now he's blocking the door and being oh, like, ha, 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 ha. So 
Uh, the 80s are not the 70s in New York, but they're still medium dangerous. And yeah. I have a high radar. And also, I'm the person who's in charge of this. I have all the tickets. I'm running this group. I put us all on the subway. I don't even know this guy. There's a huge, ripped, angry weightlifting dude on the train. And as okay. soon as Connecticut guy starts blocking the doors, he's like, get out of those doors or I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> and this is not an idle threat at all. So I like jump up, I grab the guy, I sit him down and I'm to his friend, I'm like, get a grip on your buddy. Like, this is not okay. I'm not getting my ass yeah. kicked because he's too drunk. <laughs> Connected oh guy stands up, Oh no! he's weaving. And he's like, what's the matter with you? And he turns and addresses the entire subway car. It's New Year's Eve and you should be having a good time. So I'm like, oh my God, we're all gonna die. Like this is a disaster. <laughs> so there's this pause of this weaving guy. And then all of a sudden he goes, salt and pepper's here and the place is getting hype. Salt and pepper's here and the place is getting hype. And then he breaks into the salt and pepper song, Push It, uh -huh. including the entire rap and that dude. <laughs> The weightlifting guy is like, yo, that's salt and pepper. And the place goes nuts. We go, basically, we're in the tunnel now underneath the river. Like, there's a medium time where we're in the train. Everyone's celebrating salt and pepper. He gets to the, come on over here, baby cop, give me a kiss. And by the end of it, we've got a full-on conga line going in the train. Stop. Like, everyone loses Stop. their minds, and they can't believe it. And that's how good Salt and Pepper Push It is. Jeff, hit me. Push It by Salt and Pepper. Oh, my Pick God. Pick up on this. Pick up on this. Hit it. Basically, the t salt and pepper are both <laughs> nursing students at Queensborough Community College. No way. And they get together and they have a, the first female DJ who quits. And then they add Spinderella, who's 15 when she joins the band. Awesome. Uh, they put out their first single. Push It is the B-side to the single. Jeff, any chance you can name the A-side? No way. No chance. The A-side is Tramp. And just to be clear, one of the things that's awesome about Salt and Pepper is they are a sex-forward, sex-positive act, along with Madonna. They're like one of the original trailblazers of this. So they've got like, let's talk about sex, shoop, push it, tramp, I stole your girlfriend. <laughs> like, they've got a dozen songs that are about how good they are at having sex, which, by the way, fair enough. I assume it all to be true. 
Um, they, they put this out as a single. It's the B side. It gets remixed by a DJ in San Francisco. The remix is a massive hit. And they, uh, they put it on their first record. They put it on their second record. It eventually launches their career. Um, they're at the same time. So they're one of the original rap girl groups. So like JJ Fad, The Real Roxanne. And by the way, this is going to really hurt India's feelings. I didn't choose. Same year, La Trim, Cars with a Boom. Do you guys know that one? <laughs> I don't know that one. Oh. Oh, no, Dude, I, I strongly recommend Cars the La Trim, Cars with a Boom video. And by the way, it's one of India's favorite songs from this year. She thinks that's awesome. Anyhow, they were a novelty <laughs> act. Everyone thought that this was like a one-off. They were just going to be female rap act and nobody would notice. And that's actually right. true of the other acts that I named. Not true for them. They sold 15 million records. Their biggest hit is in 1993. Like they have a legit real career where they put oh, out yeah. four records with yeah. multiple good songs on it. Um, they're dependent, depending on how you feel about how you want to count like TLC or other acts, they're the best selling female rap act of all time. Um, and they're just badasses. Like this song is super, super, super extra good. And it's actually funny. It's a precursor to the singing rapping thing. I mean, obviously it's a precursor to TLC and all of the female acts that mix those things up, but it's weirdly, it's like a precursor to Drake. Like they're actually doing things that will eventually come to be uh, super important. So anyway, I dig it. I love it. That was my song. Awesome. I was going to give you so much shit for making a song from 1986, but it was a great story. So I'm going to let you go. But like, you know, this is a, you guys, you know, this is a podcast where we pick songs from the year Oh, no, no, no. Dude, 87 is the year. All over the place. No, no, because the remix is the one that hits. It's not fair all to right. choose this as 86. Fair and, enough. And, and actually, I mean, honestly, I probably should have chosen 88. Like, it really charts in 88. What, uh, where's, where's Queen so Latifah in this? the wind, but you, know, you don't get to pick that for 1988 either. Come on. Come on. There are rules. We, we can pick Candle in the wind. Where's Queen Latifah? Is she around yet or no? No, she's not around yet. And also, yeah, she's not like, years. one of the things that's cool about them is they're, they're a group. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I looked this up. Are you ready? So they sold 15 million records. And I was like, well, how many girl groups? And I don't mean that like pejoratively. I just mean that's an actual term yeah. of art for groups of sure, women who sing sure, together. Sure. Um, how many girl groups have sold more on the Wikipedia worldwide sales list? Jeff Simons or Tim, I'll take it. What's the number one best selling girl group of all time? Dan Ross and the Supremes. Dixie Chicks. Oh, no. Both of those are really low. The Supremes has sold roughly 20 million records. Dixie Chicks is not on the list. The Go-Go's? Go-Go's, not. Uh, not on the list. Meaning that they sold below 20 million records. Sure, sure. Uh, number one. Right, so the number one, the one that you're going to know, which is actually number two, is the Spice Girls. Oh, Chris, uh, yeah. They sold 85 million records. Dude, there's that a girl group that sold more. The Andrews sisters. Oh, the yeah. Andrews yeah. sisters. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That's really number impressive. one with 90 million worldwide sales. That is impressive. That's like half the earth when they were recording. That's incredible. It really that's is. That's incredible. Because adjusted population, that's like selling 700 million records. Well, dude, but a bunch uh, of that happened in the 80s. You know what I mean? My grandma yeah, and your yeah. grandma were like, the Andrews sisters' greatest hits is happening for me. Well, and, and people would sample them. No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> tough, tough, tough crowd. Is this thing Can on? I just say one thing? You say that this song is forward thinking, but it's also old fashioned. Like it sounds a lot like the Run DMC stuff that you played. And I just want to point out that like 
1988, there's rap that sounds nothing like this that is super important and pushing the genre. And if you're going to pick an 87 R&B song, shouldn't you pick one that starts to use that polyrhythmic, like starts to get the bump, which dominates everything forward, like Tribe. And like Eric B. and Rakeem's Paid in Full is 87. Oh, yeah, no. But so, dude, um, so first, I'm not here to argue with Eric B. That's great. That, that, <laughs> like, that's really, really, really good. That being said, if you go back and listen to Push It, and you, I think you had the 12-inch, so we didn't get to the rapping yeah, part of it. Dude, the rapping is actually medium interesting. They, yeah, it is pretty good. They speed up, much, they slow yeah. down, they come in, they come out. It's not like Run DMC where it's all boom, 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 boom. So they come on over here and give me a kiss, baby pop. Like she, she says that real slow. And then they're like, otherwise they're gonna be pissed. Like she, she speeds it up and slows it down. There's parts where she's talking. There's parts where, she's, where, where one of them singing and they're going back and forth. Um, and that's what I mean by it being a precursor. Like yeah, it's already starting to break out of that. Like the JJ best- Fad, Supersonic is just a straight up females doing run DMC, whereas this is not that. Fair enough. And I the, my favorite part of the song is the bump, ba-na-na-na, where they actually yeah. have, like, they don't just use the one riff. They actually have a couple of different synth sounds to cue different moments. Yeah. I mean, I, I, have, I have danced myself silly to push it at least six times. Great. <laughs> I, retract By the way, my, I retract my, uh, my uh, concern. By the way, the, the more you guys talk about hip hop, the, the more you lose me because I was listening to, to Faith at the time. Um, but did you go to our Facebook page? Because there's a guy, Kevin Brown, who's on there listing all sorts of songs. And I think he, Ben Barton, uh, grew up in New York as well. So oh, he's nice. got, yeah, he's got the, uh, the pulse of the, the hip hop thing going on. All right, but that's neither here nor there. Jeff Simons, what do you have for 1987? So yeah, 87. Um, so we talked about this, this song before in a different context, but um, uh, well, I'll start talking while I turn it on because it has, it has a buildup. You know, some artists have, you know, they have a sound and you can identify them right away. This is one of those artists. Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. Some so- artists have a song that is so singular and encapsulates everything the band does well that you can really point to a tune and this is that song for this this is the i think this is the best first three songs of a record in rock and roll ever like we had that conversation about the cars but this one into the next one into the next one is the strongest beginning to a record i think still i've ever heard and i have listened to this song i don't know a thousand times I, I can't even count how many times I've listened to this song. And right now, my pulse rate is increasing, and the hairs in the back of my neck are starting to stand up, and I'm anticipating this singular guitar figure that doesn't sound like anybody else. And then it's going to rise up, and I'm going to get to the top of the hill, and the song's going to take an extra 45 seconds to come to a stop. And I just, I find this song inexhaustibly excellent, even though band has done a bunch of very low quality stuff in the most recent memory, almost to the point where they're in the school, they're in the appointment, but this song is one chord basically, there's a couple of D minors and A's, but it's just a spectacular arrangement, it sounds fantastic, I thought the art direction 
singing how long to sing this song and the band left the stage uh turned the house lights on and i'm not i'm not exaggerating oh dude i was there you're telling the truth minutes people kept singing it they sang it as they left the stadium as they went out into the parking lot i've never been part of a crowd that coalesced until i went to bonnaroo with ben i'd never been part of a crowd that came together and became something like that night. And at, in 1987, U2, whatever night they played, they were the best band on earth. And they and they created right. community out of 20,000 Strangers just with the sheer power of wanting to create community. That is my pick. I'm oh. probably in my all-time top 10 songs. I can't believe after all these years how much I still love it. It's so, it's yeah. so great. Great, lovely. Yeah, that meeting. song is amazing. Um, did you, you you went and saw them on the recent tour, right? I did. Still great. Still, Still great. great. Like that record's great. They're yeah, really, yeah, that's really the one they played it all the way straight through, and and uh, you know what's coming, and it's not boring at all. And this was a classic record for me. So my favorite um, U two song all the way in this era was Sunday Bloody Sunday, and they released with it without you, and I was like soft out, hard out on what? this band oh, because no. I was like, I'm, I'm not interested in this. This is an actual thing uh, that I said in 1987. I was oh, like, no. Bullet to Blue Sky is okay, but the rest of the record, not so much. That was wow. my actual take on this record. <laughs> and I told you I was a big GNR guy, so you can get where I was coming Oh, in. okay, okay. Um, but dude, it just wore me down. This record wore me down. Uh, the, in the, at the Haverford, um, in the basement, they had the pool room and the video games and the pinball. And I hung out down there all the time. They had a jukebox. And this was just on the jukebox every time I went down. And every time I went, I liked it more. And uh, that show was amazing. And yeah, they completely won me over. Yeah. And actually, I can see, like, if you like, because I thought, I never thought they'd top war for me. Like, that right? war record, yeah. New Year's Day, uh, uh, even equal to Sunday Bloody Sunday. I loved that war record. And when Unforgettable Fire came out, I was like, this is a little muddy. I, it doesn't have the drums that war had. What the hell's going on on side two where he's like making up lyrics and they kept it. So I wasn't <laughs> prepared to fall hard for Joshua Tree. And and frankly, like, do you remember how much it was hyped before it came out? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, it was it was Josh time for them to take over record yep. stores for like months before it came out. So I was ready to take to have Ben's take. I was prepared to not fall for it. And I just I mean, my fourth listen, I was like, I can't believe how good this record is. Well, yeah. isn't both of you kind of talked about becoming um, disillusioned with the police as the police made their big push for superstardom. And you two is kind of on the same tra- trajectory, like they've got the buzz. They've got a lot of respect, and yet their their push for superstardom was also filled with terrific music. Yeah, I mean, Madeline well, Hum annoys me like that. The live record that comes, yeah, out, that's the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They start to pitch me off pretty quick. Um, <laughs> but I, I just one of those examples of like they wanted to be the biggest band in the world, and they had the goods. I mean, they're like, you know, 
I, no, no, I, dude, I and also the thing that's likable about this record um, in, in comparison to the police record, and I don't mean to bury the police again, but this record sounded like nothing else yeah. that came out that year. That's right. And if you want to be like, if you want to be inauthentically yeah. be the biggest band in the world, you try and sound, they could have been like, oh, we should put out a Springsteen record. They, like the Irish Springsteen record was sitting on the shelf for them to put out. Right. But that's not what they did. Dude, they kept like, they were on a journey. And this is part like the Rattle and Hall is sadly part of this journey. But <laughs> through this part of the journey, they were like, every record was different and they were working on stuff. And this record, they took a massive gargantuan huge leap forward and it was a leap into a chasm they didn't know where they were going to land you know what i mean yeah. this didn't sound like their previous work it was weird it was out there and yet it was outstanding it's great my my it great was, memory like, so they were still funny like i remember that rolling stone did a big cover story about it and they were like you know they took all those photographs of the joshua tree in joshua tree national forest and like did you guys remember which tree is on the cover and they were like we very deliberately did not remember because we were afraid we'd tell somebody and then some jackass would show up with it at a gig like look i got the tree <laughs> i just thought that was such a great moment of self-realization like we are myth making but we're also taking the piss at the same time like he wasn't hanging out with Vaclav havel in prague yet you know like no yeah yeah so uh, my buddy jay jeff would uh, whenever i still haven't found what i'm looking for would come on you know driving around or at a party Jay be like, you know what this song's about? Like, what? Bono lost his keys. And that was just Jay's go-to joke for all of 1987. He loved that joke. <laughs> Did he then turn Polly Walnut style to the next person to tell it again? Did you hear what oh, I yeah. said? Oh, my Did God. I... Have you met Jay Coughlin? <laughs> I've never seen. You know, He will beat that joke into the ground. God, <laughs> 10 minutes into meeting Jay Coughlin, I was like, I'm not, I'm no match for this guy. Like, you were writing letters to the wit. Bud Light like, Company, I believe. Just like, -da 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 -da. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, all right. Well, you guys did great. Oh, gosh, hard to argue with either. Uh, I'm going out on a, on a treacherous limb here. All right. <clears throat> Gentlemen, we have been together now for 18 podcasts. 18 podcasts. That. That's a lot of podcasts. I know we're not even halfway there, but still, 18 podcasts is a lot. I would like one of you to guess how many listens we have at this point. Uh, 1,300. 1,600. Hey, Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Ben Barton, how many countries have we reached with our little podcast? 22. 36 no countries. way! Isn't that amazing? That really is amazing. 36 countries have said, you know what? I want to know what these 50-year-old white guys have to say. I don't know. <laughs> Again, we, perhaps we should rethink that, uh, that whole uh, title. But anyways... I think that's pretty impressive for three months worth uh, uh, of you guys going down this path and, and, and pursuing this with me. I think it's been awesome. So much fun. It's given me uh, such quitting? joy. This feels like a, a yeah, like totally. quitting. <laughs> and, and that's why I have to, no, I'm not quitting. <laughs> I am saying I am going to bring us to a new country with my pick 
for 1987. That's right. I'm the diversity person. I brought us to Canada right away. I brought up Australia with ACDC. Thank you very much. I've gone country. I've gone soul, which neither of you cared for my soul. Um, That was not soul, by the way. (laughs) And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go to one of the greatest artists of the late 20th century, a young woman named Bjork. And we're going to go to Iceland. And we're going to get some listens in Iceland thanks to this song, Birthday. Birthday by the Sugar Cubes. confession i was listening to george michael in 1987 i was not listening to the sugar cubes it wasn't until the 90s where i i i found bjork um no one sounds like her is that true uh yeah i guess that's right i'm trying to think of those other like i mean there's definitely some experimental vocalists i'm trying i can't think of one that is a direct antecedent. To Susie her. and the Banshees, maybe? Yoko yeah. Ono. Yeah, maybe. A little bit. You guys don't like my pick. Oh, I like it just fine. I like birthday. I, 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 this is a super hipster <laughs> pick because it, it, it only came out in 1987 as a single in Iceland. And well, it right. Didn't really, it didn't get released in America until 88. So but again, it got, it, it got the, play in the UK in 1987. Okay. I mean, it wasn't available to purchase on like in plan- on planet Earth until 1988, but okay. Well, I, no. By the way, Tim, it, don't, don't listen to this guy with his rules. Don't let him pin you it's in. It's not even okay? my he probably, he probably also only likes music with noticeable tones that aren't atonal like this. So you just right. shouldn't listen to him at all. Wait like, a minute. As long as you're going to choose Bjork, <laughs> go ahead and steer into the whole experience. Yeah. So, have you ever seen the Saturday Night Live performance of, of this particular song? Oh, it's great. Because I saw the, uh, Sugar Cubes live. Did I you really? Them, uh, okay, ready for this triple bill? Yeah. U2, Public Enemy, the Sugar Cubes. Oh, come on. When was this? Night, the Octoon Baby Tour, 1991. That's an outstanding lineup. No, they Sugar Cubes <laughs> were horrible. They were, and I mean... 
I'm ready. I was there to have a good time and enjoy myself. I am wondering if the sugar cubes horrible. would have a hard time in a stadium. And you are correct that they yeah. had a really difficult time. That's not their. That's not their jam. Okay, so I want to push back. Did you pick birthday because it was the? It's your favorite sugar cube song, or did you pick it because you knew it was like the one that most people would know? Oh no, it's my favorite sugar cube song. Okay. Do you got another one for me? I like Motor Crash better. I like Motor Crash. I think that one's fun. All right. That's uh, all right. What's your favorite Bjork song? Oh, the one, uh, Human Behavior, for sure, which has the... I love that noise in that song. No. Big time sensuality. Oh, I love Human Behavior. I could listen to that for... for I could okay. listen to a six-hour remix of Human Behavior. I love that song. All right, Ben Barton, do your daughters know about Bjork? No. I don't really care for Bjork, just to be frank. That, like, she's one, like, uh, one thing I'll say is that, hopefully this has been clear, I've tried to be more open-minded in the fullness of my adulthood. And I recognize, like, for for example, the U2 thing's a perfect example of this. Like, I was being a dick. U2 was right and I was wrong. And I was like, I'm just being, I'm just taking the counterpoint just to have the counterpoint. So I have been open-minded to things, but I don't like Bjork. I don't like her thing. That entire level of art rock where it's like, she's like wailing and the guitars are playing things that are, uh, you know, discordant. I'm just not interested in that. My but favorite are- thing about birthdays, there's the sound of an, of like a bagpipe losing air. That, <laughs> I love, oh, yeah. I love <laughs> that that's like a sample in this. I do, do appreciate you, the Do you know how they that. make that sound? Like if, I thought it was a guitar. That's not a guitar. It is not. Oh, I don't know what the hell it is? So I mean, it I, is. A, it sounded like guitar. they were playing slide guitar off key. That was yeah, what I like thought guitar. the instrument was. It is a dude with his own hand stuck into his trumpet. Oh, and he's better. playing I'm so the glad trumpet. The last word of that sentence was <laughs> trumpet. <laughs> oh, and also, dude, hand. There are other options. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> that's a joke I would have loved in 1987. That was good. I think we have reached the end of another podcast. Well, here's the thing: look, you can't be you. You have a hipster pick here. The Sugar Cubes are a are a hipster band. Picking Bjork. I mean, Bjork has a huge 90s and 2000 following. Like this is not this is not a pick where like this is not Gordon Lightfoot. This is just you bumped up against uh, Ben. Not don't, liking no, 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 no. Don't don't worry about me, Jeff Simons. I am secure in who I am, and I am secure in my picks. Perhaps you, sir, should look in the not for this year. You you did great this year. Uh, well, you, yeah, last week you picked J- the best. Ben, what anyway. Ben? What was his what was his uh, worst pick so far, Jeff Simons? Oh, oh! Probably last week you hated in your eyes, like. Oh yeah. Good good Although call. you know, honestly, like um, the more I thought about it, I wasn't crazy about Left of the Dial. Oh really? I asked my brother about it, and I was like, I, "It's not even one of my ten favorite replacement songs." You're kidding me! I'm totally serious. Wow. Oh, and my brother was. Just, I was like, I was like, Jeff chose Left of the Dial, and he's like, "Not Alex Chilton." I mean, he and I were just completely simpatico. On that. Uh, this is, this is second, I mean, can't hardly wait. Now Alex Chilton are like second and third. 18 pods in, listeners, and you're starting to see people fray at the edges and start to go after each other. Uh, 1988, I'm going to call it right now. 
Jeff uh, and I are going to choose the same album, if not the same song. It's yeah, no lot. question. I, I'll have a, I'll have a backup because you get you you. No, uh, no, no! I went first this no. time, so you go first. Yeah. Well, there's no question that we're going to do that. Okay. Wait, what's the album? So I can start listening to it. Say it on three. Ready? One, two. No, no, three. we're not going to say it. You got to wait. You got to wait. <laughs> that but was I'll, very I'll disappointing. A, I'll have a B. I'll have a B pick. No, again, dude, you go first. I went first this time. I'll yeah, have a B pick. No, but it's your. No, 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 no. Like I'm I, definitely. I'll get my Guns and Roses chance. It'll be a dream come true. Eight. I'll choose patience. Oh my god! <laughs> a little patience. That's the song where you need patience. That song goes on for like a month. All right. I'm All right, my brothers. Well done. Tonight. That was great. Thanks, guys. I Just that. trying to get it right. It's hard to see with so many around. Peace. Later. Thanks for listening to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. If you like what you hear, leave us a good review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And come visit us on our Facebook page where you can weigh in on who actually had the best song of the year. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are and live in a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast.